Now, coming back to uh, the report we did on Monday when we spoke to Melissa, who is, of course, um, not her real name. Uh, This is a pseudonym that we've given her to protect her child's identity. And this was regarding her unhappiness with the Standerton Magistrates Court granting the man who raped her 12-year-old daughter and impregnated her 1,000 rand bail. Now, here's a short clip from that conversation on Monday. Melissa, thank you so much, and uh, we appreciate you speaking to us here on Update at Noon. Melissa, first and foremost, I know this is harrowing, and um, I'm actually loath to ask you to recount this for us, but I have to. So can you please just explain to us exactly what happened and what ultimately led to the arrest of the perpetrator? On Christmas night, I actually, in my house, walked in on this guy inside my child's bed. That's uh, when I called the police and he was arrested. The statements were taken and she was taken in for like a medical checkup. And that's when they found out that she was pregnant, meaning that it wasn't the first time that this had happened. Did your daughter confirm that, in fact, he was the per- person who had violated her previously as well? As you say, this is not yes, the first she time. Did. Yes, she did. She confirmed it. And Melissa, you say your daughter is 12 years old. Yes, she is. And when the medical examination was conducted, it was discovered that she was pregnant. Yes. And how far on had she been? Because this incident where you actually caught him was on Christmas Day. And how far pregnant was she by that time? Uh, By that time, I think it was three weeks. So have you spoken to your daughter just to um, ascertain whether... This was going on for quite some time, or whether it was a recent thing, as in the three weeks that she was pregnant, or so? She confirmed that it was the three weeks, saying that the first December. So he was given 1,000 Rand bail. Um, what did the magistrate say in granting that 1,000 Rand bail? I have no idea how he can back up 1,000 Rand bail. I really did not hear the explanation and nothing made sense to me at that point. A thousand rand for somebody who, I I don't even have words for it, but to me, I don't know why he gave a thousand rand bail. He can answer that. I have no idea. You said that uh, the alleged perpetrator, you caught him in your daughter's bed. So he is someone who is known to you, yes? Yes. Is he related to you? Uh, not to me. He's related to my husband. You know, you, you you did say you fear for your safety, you fear for your daughter's safety. Um, has this dis- dissatisfaction been expressed to the courts Has or any other authorities? And, and, and what have they said in response? Um, it has been. The investigating officer actually wanted to oppose the bail, but then the prosecutor went against the advice of investigating officer and he did not oppose bail at all. The prosecutor did not oppose bail? No, he didn't. And he was actually instructed by the investigating officer to oppose bail. Wow. With safety as one of those reasons. 
And that, of course, was Melissa, the mother of the 12-year-old child who was allegedly raped in Standerton, to which the community responded by drawing up a petition expressing their dissatisfaction at how this case has been handled. And there have been some new developments around this particular case and uh, the story, as it were. And Melissa joins us on the line again today. Melissa, thank you so much uh, for your bravery and for speaking to us. And welcome to Updated Noon once again. Thank you, Sakina. Melissa, uh, first off, uh, we understand that uh, since we spoke on Monday, there have been some developments and uh, you're not happy about what has happened. Do tell us, what has since happened? Yes, since Monday, I have tried to speak to the prosecutor who was handling the case. On the first occasion, he told me that he is filing a report and he will then explain the report to me and I should come back. I think it was Friday. On Friday when I came back, he was not at work and um, one of the other prosecutors called him and he said I should come back on Monday. When I went back Monday, he was nowhere to be found. So I went back again Tuesday and I don't think I spoke to him on Tuesday and I only got a hold of him today. So today when I did finally get to see him, he then told me that I should um, file a complaint against him. That is the only way that he is going to give me an explanation. He does not owe me an explanation, but I should just go ahead and file a complaint. So he has point blank refused to speak to you about this case that he is handling? Yes, he said he's got nothing to discuss with me. I should file a complaint, then his um, seniors will explain to me. So, in terms of um, what you wanted to engage him on, what exactly were you wanting to speak to him about? I actually wanted to find out, why did he not oppose bail? Which is the logical question to ask. And secondly, he was granted bail on an affidavit that I myself know had false information. So I wanted to find out how did he verify all the information on the affidavit before deciding that he does not want to oppose bail. So you haven't got any answers to that because he's refusing to communicate with you? Yes. Have you communicated with the investigating officer at least? Yes, the investigating officer is quite open about everything. And he says that he did try to alert him that the information on the affidavit was not truthful. But he still refused to listen to him. So the investigating officer, as far as I know, has been on my side fully. It's just the prosecutor who's doing his own thing, let me say. So uh, today is the first day of school, and um, did your daughter go back to school today, Melissa? Yes, she did. And then how did that go? Um, School is not out yet, but as a family, we decided that we can't deny a child education just because some animal out there does not know how to control themselves. I also understand uh, when I spoke to you earlier, you said something about him contacting your daughter. Yes, he has made attempts to contact her to tell her to to change her statement and tell everybody that she's lying. And then how did he um, establish contact with her? 
um, through one of the, I can say, one of his niece's phones, who, like, is known to my daughter. So he used the child's phone to try and get a hold of her. So, so, so was this, um, did he speak to her or did he send a message? How exactly did he communicate? He was sending messages. And and I, I'm, I'm assuming that you have those messages and you've kept them. No, I uh, unfortunately deactivated that account and took the phone because I cannot know what else he will try to do by contacting her. So I do not have those messages with me anymore. So I would imagine then then that the safety concerns that you expressed on Monday um, have now been exacerbated given that he tried to contact your daughter. Yes, they have. And the sad part is when I did report it to the prosecutor, he um, told me that he, in his bail condition, he's not supposed to contact the victim. But when I went to the... Um, investigating officer. He says there is no such in his bail condition. He was only given one bail condition, which is not to leave town. So they cannot arrest him for trying to make contact with the victim. So there's no safety measures for us at all in the bail conditions. Melissa, thanks so much for updating us and uh, we hope that you will keep us posted on any further developments uh, in this case. We have contacted the Department of Social Development. We have spoken to uh, the National Prosecution Authority and what the NPA have told us is that they have contacted uh, the regional uh, head, the director in Mpumalanga of the um, NPA and and what's happened now is that uh, the regional General director is seized with this case. They are now looking through um, to establish the conduct of the prosecutor, whether the the prosecutor acted accordingly. So uh, the director in Pumalanga is sifting through that, and as soon as they have established, you know, whether they are satisfied or not with the conduct of the prosecutor, the NPA will speak to us at that point. But uh, Melissa, thank you so much uh, for your time. Um, Melissa is the mother of the 12-year-old uh, girl who was um, raped uh, by a family member and uh, they are now uh, very unhappy with how things have developed in this particular case. And uh, we've named her Melissa to protect the identity of her daughter. Meanwhile, the Association of Regional Magistrates of Southern Africa, AMSA, um, would like to respond to suggestions, reports that magistrates do not know the law when it comes to rape and gender-based violence. Uh, There was an article that appeared in The Citizen and uh, Magistrate uh, Vincent uh, Rachivumo, who's the spokesperson for the Association of Regional Magistrates of Southern Africa, joins us on the line uh, to set the record straight. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Well, thank you so much and we appreciate you giving us a chance to put the record straight. Uh, Magistrate Rajibumo, um the, the allegation was not made by the SABC, but uh, we think it is an important matter given uh, the case. I don't know if you just heard our previous guest uh, stating what is happening in a case involving her 12-year-old daughter who was raped uh, by an adult male and was let off on 1,000 rand bail. So, and, and, and it speaks to, I suppose, in a certain sense, that article, uh, 
uh, that uh, you want to respond to that said that magistrates actually don't know the law around rape. So if you could just first off give us your sense around that. No, thank you so much. Our concern is that um, that statement is made based on the interviews of the candidates who were to be appointed as a regional magistrate. And our point is very clear, and we want to emphasize, that was a very wrong platform from which anybody can pass that judgment where the magistrates who are dealing or presiding over cases of rape can be evaluated on whether they know the law. These people who avail themselves for appointments to become regional magistrates, they are not regional magistrates. In other words, they aspire, they desire, they hope to be appointed so they can preside over such cases. So the lack of knowledge on the part of the candidates surely cannot be attributed to those who have already been appointed as regional magistrates because those who are already regional magistrates, they have gone through the process. They have gone through a lot of training. And if you look at the cases that are taken on appeal from the regional courts, I'm talking of cases uh, wherein regional magistrates have presided over those methods of race, you will realize that there, there is about 90% success rate. In other words, those that go on appeal, about 90% of them, the appeal fails meaning those that within a magistrate may have made an error and the high court has to rectify, they, they make less than 10%. And these statistics, it doesn't show you that regional magistrates do not know the law. It rather tells that the candidates who apply to be appointed as regional magistrates, some of them did not know the law pertaining to rape. And that is how far we wanted to set the record straight. Well, um, I'm going to ask you, uh, Magistrate uh, Rachibuma, to please stay on the line for me. We need to take news headlines and then we'll come back uh, because I also would like to just uh, pick your brain on uh, the issue of uh, bail and how bail is granted. What are the considerations that uh, the magistrate would take uh, into account when deciding whether or not to uh, grant bail? Uh, I am at the moment in conversation with spokesperson for the Association of Regional Magistrates of Southern Africa, uh, Vincent Rachivumo. Thanks so much for your time as well, uh, Magistrate Rachivumo. If, if if we could, if you could just explain to us how do magistrates decide on whether or not to grant bail. And I think, uh, importantly, just a message here from uh, one of our listeners uh, uh, reminding us once again, I suppose, that uh, of the presumption of innocence, uh, saying that uh, why should a... Uh, and, uh, uh, one is innocent until proven guilty, he says, in South Africa. Why must he be refused bail? So um, I suppose a good reminder there of uh, uh, the law and, and, and the outlook. But if you could just explain to us how magistrates go about determining whether or not to grant bail. I appreciate that. Having listened to a little bit of uh, what the... What's her name? The lady who was communicating... Melissa. Yes, Melissa, and hearing what you're saying just now, why another listener is reminding you of this constitutional right. 
it comes into mind that magistrates in our country are working under serious pressure. There is pressure from the other side, that is the side of the victims, and there's another pressure from the side of the suspects who are arrested. And one can only commend the magistrates for executing justice without fear or favor. What I can say is exactly what you put on record. Everybody who appears in court, even when multitudes of people are shouting that this person need not be given bail and whatever, the magistrate always has to keep in mind that that person has a constitutional right, a right to be presumed innocent until proved guilty. And we do the best that we can as the associations to educate our people out there because the, the association Aramsa doesn't stand for educating only the magistrates. We do educate members of the public so they understand the law. So we granting or refusing bail to an offender or a suspect who is arrested, it has very little to do with the punishment of that offender or that person for the wrong that is allegedly committed. But it has everything to do with letting be presumed innocent and be outside before he could be punished, if he is going to be punished or found guilty at the end of the day. Of course, a magistrate has to consider a number of things in considering whether to grant bail. It's whether this person is a flight risk. If he's given bail, is he going to skip bail and run away? And considering whether any person is a flight risk, there are many other aspects to consider. Is there anything that binds him to the country, South Africa? A person who has no asset can easily skip bail and don't know where to trace him. Does he have anything that binds him, like property, employment? Does he have family? Something that is he says he's skipping bail, he would have suffered a great loss? Things of that nature. But we also consider whether the state has a strong case against him. The prosecutor will present the fact before a magistrate to say the person is facing the following allegations, and from there you listen and consider whether the case for the state is strong. Does the accused himself have a good enough defense? But you should remember, this accused also has a right to silence at that stage. He may choose not to explain. But more recently, the parliament also passed some new laws these laws, they're not really new, but they've been in existence for the past few years. That is when uh, uh, some schedules were created. There is Schedule 5 and there is Schedule 6. In other words, if an offender is facing a crime that is listed under Schedule 5 or under Schedule 6, the law says that offender should be kept in custody in particular, Schedule 5 says he should be kept in custody until that offender or that accused convinces the court that his release on pain will be in the interest of justice. And in respect of Schedule 6 and Schedule 6 deal with more serious offenses, more serious crimes, it provides that he should be kept in custody until he or she has shown that exceptional circumstances exist that in the interest of justice, he should be released on bail. So these are the things that the magistrate has to consider. And as to what is it that can be termed exceptional circumstances, it depends from one case to another. 
And the magistrate has a duty not to listen to just one side. A magistrate is to listen to both sides, and after doing so, should come up with judgment, either granting or refusing bail, and attaching conditions to bail. If any offender who's granted bail contravenes the conditions for bail, it is on those, the complainants or anybody who gets the information that this person has contravened bail, to approach the investigation officer who in turn will approach the public prosecutor so that an application can be made before a magistrate for a warrant of arrest to be authorized. And once that offender is brought before the court, there will be an inquiry on whether he contravenes bail. And if the court finds that he contravenes bail, in all likelihood, his bail will be cancelled and he will stay in custody until the case is finalized. So in this case where the victim is a 12-year-old child um, and the allegation here and there's been an admission if you will, by the victim uh, who, uh, when the mother spoke to us on Monday, was saying he said that this was consensual, but we do know, according to the law, a 12-year-old cannot consent. So that would be an admission on his part uh, to this uh, crime. But all that aside, this uh, 12-year-old being raped, what schedule offense is that? Uh, I must indicate first the, the preamble that you just indicated. Uh, the, this, of, this suspect made an admission to the mother of the child. Keep in mind the following that uh, that admission may not have been brought to the attention of uh, 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 the law enforcement officer. I, I do not know because. The, it's one thing to say... Apparently it was brought meeting. before. It, apparently it, it, it was stated. Yeah. Um, to the point where uh, the suspect even alleged an affair with the 12-year-old. Mm. Now, one thing I can tell you is rape of any person who is a child, we are talking of a person who is below the age of 16, is a Schedule 6 offence. That person has to show that exceptional circumstances exist before he could be released on bail. That one I can tell you. But if I can emphasize, once a person has made an admission to this person, that mother will have to give evidence. It's very, it's very good that the, 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 the mother has that information. At the end of the day, when the case goes on trial, she will give evidence that you made the following admission. You may, I can tell you, in almost 100% of cases when it goes on trial, it's most likely going to change and say, look, I left made that admission. So it will be good if there are records wherein admissions were made. If admissions are being made, maybe by WhatsApp, SMSs, email, or whatever, it's very good that witnesses should record mm. that information because at a later stage. Magistrate Rachibumo, so the mother catches the suspect in bed with her 12-year-old child. He is arrested and he's brought before the courts for this crime, having sexual intercourse with a 12-year-old, with a child, to which you yourself just explained that's a Schedule 6 offence. What could possibly be exceptional in the circumstances that the magistrate would take into account to release this man on 1,000 rand bail?
What Look, sort of? What I, sort of? I, 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 I would be very reluctant, I suppose, given my position, which you just put on record, to delve into the merits of a particular case that may have been before uh, uh, my brother or sister, because I don't know what that person really considered. But like I indicated, and I need to emphasize, if a person is facing several six offences. A crime that is listed under federal things, release of that person should not be that easy. But it doesn't mean that those people are not released. They are being released, and uh, the, the, these judicial precedents to, to such kind of judgments, wherein people are facing federal things, yet they still get bail. It depends from one case to another, the facts of the case, what is there. And you need to keep in mind. Um, the fact that a mother found the daughter in bed with the suspect is just part of evidence that will be presented to court. The court will consider that together with any other thing that is presented before it. And in most instances, it may not be presented during bail application. At bail application, the court will consider whether the case is very strong or whether the case is not strong, is there any defense, did anything happen, is there any medical evidence to show that there was any penetration. And the court also consider if there could be any reason for any of the parties to falsify the, 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 the allegation, to falsify the charges against the suspect before court. Do they have any relationship, is there any reason for them to fight? Because I can just tell you just one example. You would be very surprised that I personally had to handle some in a case wherein there were allegations of rape only to find that instead the mother of the child who was going through divorce with the father did something to that child. And unfortunately, the medical experts, the doctors, gave evidence to show that there was tampering with the private parts of the child. But the doctor cannot say much because there's no semen found there, but injuries are there. It only came through other methods that the truth came up to that light before the court that this is what actually happened. So it will be difficult for me to really speculate as to what the magistrates may have found to be exceptional in this particular case. But I must also say, it does happen that sometimes the magistrates will find exceptional circumstances that were not supposed to be exceptional circumstances, in which case the public prosecutor may appeal against that decision if the High Court is not satisfied that exceptional circumstances existed, a decision by the magistrate could therefore be set aside. And just a final question with regard to the safety of the child concerned. We heard there from the mother that uh, there were allegedly attempts to get in touch with the child by uh, the uh, suspect. So in that case, when you look at the bail conditions that are set, uh, shouldn't there have been a little more than you may not leave the uh, jurisdiction of this magistrate's court? No, definitely. I mean, uh, um, usually the public prosecutors will ask fed up conditions to be imposed to see to it that there's no touch or contact between the uh, victim and the suspect. But I must also indicate the following uh, to you. Even when a condition may not have been imposed as a bail condition, it's 
see nothing that stops the prosecution if they feel that the behavior or the conduct of a person who was out on bail is unbecoming. For example, you don't need to have a condition to tell you you shouldn't threaten the witnesses or to give evidence. And there you go, you start threatening those people, your bail and be counseled. It is always good to have bail conditions imposed, but when a person is misbehaving when he's out on bail, even when it's not given as a bail condition, there's nothing that stops the prosecution from applying that the bail be cancelled or in the alternative, that bail condition be added so that he can behave and that the victims can have the freedom of movement without fear that they're going to be coerced into withdrawing the charges. Well, we have to leave it there, unfortunately. But thank you so much, Magistrate Vincent Rachivumo, spokesperson for the Association of Regional Magistrates of Southern Africa, for giving us somewhat of you know perspective from a magistrate's point of view on what they have to consider in granting bail. And I don't know if that makes it any better because I'm looking at your comments and most of you are just totally outraged. But, of course, we will keep our eye, we'll keep our finger on the pulse here uh, because we're going to follow the story to see what ultimately happens.